Welcome to Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Oh, well, good morning. Good to be with you all today. We are at the start of our series, Me to We, where we're looking at how we embrace one another in a me-centered world. So last week, Pastor Phil kicked off this series by giving us an overview of why the Apostle Paul would remind early Christians over and over again how they should love Because Christians in the first century, much like many Christians today, often focused their faith on themselves. Something, sometimes we can be so focused on our personal lives, our ambitions, our opinions, our politics, that we can forget our calling to show love and humility and unity as a body of believers. So we're going to talk about that today, but first, think with me about a great unifying force in our culture today that has the ability to bring people together regardless of background, beliefs, ethnicity, age, or gender. Okay, I'll give you a hint. We buy tickets. We fill stadiums to show our love and support for our favorite sports teams, right? We recently experienced this type of unity as we, or at least the vast majority of us, cheered for the Bengals in the Super Bowl, okay? That was an incredible moment for Bengals fans, right? So it didn't matter if you have been a lifelong fan, okay, like I have, all right, Here's a picture of me and my friend Susan cheering on the Bengals for the 1988 Super Bowl, okay? Really long time ago, (laughs) okay? Or maybe you became a fan just this season, okay? Either way, and really despite the heartbreaking loss, we unified as a city, and we were excited about a common goal, So we all were created to crave that camaraderie and belonging and unity. And this power of unity is attainable and far more significant in the body of Christ, in our community here at MCC. So whether you've been a lifelong Christ follower or you're exploring your faith for the very first time, Right now, you are part of a community of people seeking to know more about Jesus and to follow him. We share that common goal. In the New Testament, there are many teachings on the importance of community. And throughout this series, we'll explore two simple phrases that appear again and again in the New Testament, which help us understand the requirements and the beauty of true Christian community. The phrases each other and one another speak to our relationships as Christ followers and remind us of our need to belong. 
Today we're gonna look at Ephesians 4, one through six. So a little bit of background. Paul is writing to believers in the church at Ephesus so they can more fully appreciate the high call that God has for his church. The book of Ephesians can be nicely broken into two halves. The first half, chapters one through three, and the second half, chapters four through six. In chapters one through three, Paul summarizes the gospel story, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul explains that the gospel of salvation is by grace through faith alone, which makes way for a new multi-ethnic family of God, since Jews and Gentiles are now reconciled through Christ They can now live in harmony, unified by the love of Christ. In this first half of Ephesians, Paul also outlines the blessings that we all receive as children of God. So for example, he created us, chose us, forgave us, redeemed us, loved us, called us, and adopted us into his family. So Paul emphasizes that we have been saved not only for our personal benefit, but also to bring praise and glory to God, to enjoy unity with brothers and sisters in Christ, and to draw new believers into God's family. So Paul wants the Ephesians to move from a me-centered perspective toward embracing a we-centered perspective. In the second half of Ephesians, chapters four through six, Paul switches gears and talks about the implications of the gospel and how it should reshape every part of our lives as we pursue relationships with others. So Paul challenges the Ephesians to take on the responsibilities associated with being a child of God that lead to unity in our relationships with one another. So he's essentially saying, in light of what you just learned about the gospel and what Jesus did for you on the cross, this is how you should live in response. So let's take a look at Ephesians 4, one through six, where we see what a healthy church looks like when we live in unity. Verse one says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul gives us three unifying themes to follow in this passage. We are to walk together, we are to work together, and we are to witness together. So first, we are to walk together. Verse one says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
So Paul urges you and me to live in a worthy manner. Some translations say to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So our individual walk is a metaphor for life with God. It's what people can observe as we live our lives in the context of community. So when I was in college, I ran track. Okay, that was my sport, and track and field is a unique sport because there's a strong individual component, yet you're part of a larger team. So you compete individually in your race or in your event, and you score points for your team, and at the end of the meet, the team with the most points wins. Okay, it's a team sport. And as Christ followers, we all have a personal walk with the Lord. And so Paul is urging you and me individually to live worthy of the calling you have received. Then our personal walk contributes to a team of believers who's, um, sorry, contributes to a team of believers whose goal is to live like Jesus. So there are two parts to our life in Christ, okay? Our individual calling and our collective calling. So our individual calling requires us to use our God-given gifts where God has placed us. And so then our collective calling requires all of us to reflect the love of Christ through our walk and to live in unity with other believers, And then as we live out this high call that God has placed on all of our lives, we become proof of the power of the gospel. So Paul wants us to know that following Christ is not merely a way of believing, but a way of living in daily obedience to him and reflecting the love of Christ. So this doesn't mean that we should try to deserve our place in God's family, but instead it means that as Christ followers, we understand how much our place in God's family is worth. It's an incredible gift. And so we respond by doing everything we can to maintain unity in the family of God, to live worthy of the calling God has placed on our lives and to live worthy of the love God has shown us and worthy of the salvation, adoption, redemption, and forgiveness that God has given us. Because this kind of of life is a response of gratitude for what God has done for us. So how do we do this? How do we live a life worthy of this calling? Well, Paul tells us in the very next verse, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't start with a list of rules or laws, but instead he starts by describing godly relational qualities So to live in a manner worthy of our calling is to be a unified community that walks together in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. 
So Paul knows from personal experience that being part of the body of Christ means that there will be times when another Christian will irritate us or offend us or hurt us or break our trust. And so he tells us how to respond. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, imagine if we exhibited those qualities just toward our spouse, okay, or a sibling or a coworker. That would transform our relationships. Now, did you know that there's only one verse in all 89 chapters of the four gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined, where Jesus tells us about his own heart, where he reveals what is most true of him. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so I don't know about you, but for me, that gives a whole new meaning to Paul's instruction to us to be completely humble and gentle. Because Paul's saying, be like Jesus, okay? And Paul goes on to say, be patient. Because if we have pride in our hearts, we can't be patient. We can't bear with one another in love. Bear, in the Greek translation, means to endure something that's unpleasant or difficult. And so this implies a willingness to stay together, to love one another even when it's hard. And despite our differences or if we've been offended. And that's tough, okay? Because the type of love that Paul's talking about here is agape love. It's divine, self-sacrificing love. It's the love that Jesus demonstrates to you and to me through his death on the cross, And so we have a choice as we walk together in community. We can either hold one another at arm's length or even reject one another because of our differences or offenses, or we can love one another despite differences and offenses. And in doing so, we model to the world what true Christian unity looks like. So this means that we have to work together, okay? This is our second theme in this passage. Verse three says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Because unity doesn't just happen. Unity takes work. Anyone who's married can attest to that. You don't have to work to get divided. You have to work to stay together. And the same is true for the body of Christ. So Paul is telling us, the people of God, that we all must do our parts to make every effort to stay unified. 
And when we talk about unity, we're not talking about uniformity. Okay, we don't have to see everything the exact same way or vote the same way or agree on everything. And actually, if that's the case, then we've potentially insulated ourselves from the very people and relationships that God can use to help us see our blind spots or to teach us something new about him. But we have to do the hard work to make every effort to not let our differences or preferences create division or animosity between us. Because we were all created to keep the unity of the spirit. Because the enemy desires division. And actually, division is one of Satan's greatest tools Because if Satan can get division deep enough in us, in our own hearts, in our relationships, and then across the body of Christ, then we become ineffective at living a life worthy of our calling. If we're harboring bitterness and anger and resentment toward one another, then we cannot effectively live out our calling to be the light of Jesus in this world. In Galatians 5, Paul defines which human behavior is motivated by God and which is motivated by the enemy. He begins by listing the characteristics of people whose lives are under the influence of evil, hatred, discord, Sexual immorality, idolatry, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy. Okay, now let's contrast those characteristics with what the Holy Spirit produces in people's lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, that's a significant difference because Satan needs to divide people in the church because if he can divide us, then he can make us ineffective. And he knows that we have the power to change the world if we are united, if we make every effort to work together. So last weekend, our student ministry had an amazing weekend retreat where they learned what it means to live an undivided life in Christ. Let's take a look at this recap. Undivided was a great experience for me. I got to grow closer with my friends, have a lot of fun, and most importantly, grow closer to God. I learned that God does speak directly to me, I just have to be listening. I really found myself enjoying spending just as much time listening as I do praying.
Yes. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> as a parent and as a grandparent or just as adults, isn't it incredibly encouraging to see the next generation devoting an entire weekend to Christian community and learning how to live united in Christ? So, yes, <laughs> cheer for that. I just have to say that our leaders, Tony and Alex and Jen and DJ and all the small group leaders are doing a phenomenal job of pouring into our students. And our students are even stepping up to lead as well. Thank you to Lana Carpenter, an eighth grader who designed the retreat graphics, and then Allie Carpenter, a 10th grader who helped write the retreat devotionals. That is amazing. Okay, that is we-centered living. Tony Springer, our student ministry director, highlighted to students that an undivided community is when everyone uses their gifts to serve the community and actively love those around them. And that's what we're talking about here today as well, how we work together I love that our young people are hearing that same message and that same truth and applying it to their lives as well. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus commands unity. Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the world will see Jesus in us if we show love for one another, if we bear with one another. And if anyone in our world is going to set the example of loving across differences and loving even when it's hard, let it be us, right? Followers of Christ who live worthy of the call on our lives because of the sacrifice of Jesus and the agape love that he has shown us. So this leads us to our final theme in this passage. And it's the reason that we walk together and work together is because we are part of a team and we witness together. As followers of Christ, we reflect a collective witness to the world. Okay, so my witness impacts you and your witness impacts me. Just last weekend, I took my boys to the FC Cincinnati home opener. They love soccer and so we were super excited about the game. And as we are walking up to the stadium, there was a guy with a megaphone yelling at fans, okay? And there were about four or five others wearing signs that said, Jesus saves. And other signs that said, repent or burn, okay? So the next day, we are driving to church, we're driving here, and my 10-year-old son asks, Mom, were those people preaching in a good or bad way? And 
He used the word preaching, which I thought was very generous. I called it yelling. Um, but there was, there was something confusing to him about the message and then the method it was delivered. And so I asked him, well, what do you think? And he, without hesitation, said, they sounded mean. And I agreed. <laughs> and so we went on to talk about how Jesus interacts with people, how he interacted with people, how he showed humility, gentleness, patience, and how he would bear with others in love. This was his example for us. So how are we, you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, following his example? So we may not be yelling on the street corner, but do our thoughts and our actions reflect the example of Jesus? How can we witness together so the world sees Jesus in us? Some thoughts, we can start by being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. We can use social media to uplift and encourage others online. Or we can meet a need in our community because we look most like Jesus when we serve. Or we can find a way to open our circle wider and draw others into community. As Paul wrote to remind people in the church at Ephesus of their responsibility to live out their faith, we too can lovingly encourage one another to remember the high calling we have to represent Jesus. Friends, so much is at stake because the world is watching closely, especially younger generations, even as young as my 10-year-old son. And they're deciding if they want to follow Jesus and they're watching our reflection of him. In John 17, 20 to 23, we hear Jesus praying. Okay, so if you ever wondered what Jesus prayed for, here it is. He's praying for us to be a unified witness. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus teaches us that his power can bring us to complete unity so that we can carry the gospel effectively and live worthy of our calling. Jesus gave his life to create a unified body of believers. And so shouldn't we love him enough to make every effort to keep 
that unity to bear with one another despite all of our faults and brokenness with complete humility, gentleness, and patience. Because that's what Jesus does for us. And he continues to bear with you and with me. So as we close out our passage in Ephesians, notice that Paul uses the word one and all repeatedly. Verse four says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, so here's the good news. It doesn't matter what ethnicity we are, where we live, what language we speak, what level of education we have, if we're a Republican, if we're a Democrat, because we are unified in Christ. He is the one who is over all and through all and in all. And one day, all of us from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be together with God in heaven There will be no divisions, no disagreements, no denominations, just oneness in Christ. Friends, we are called to unity in Christ because our unity is evidence of God's power in this world. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.